Welcome to this week's recording of Worcester News, brought to you by the Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind. Our service is free, but if you wish to make a donation, you can place it in your wallet, along with any comments you have regarding our recordings. We love to hear from our listeners. I am Sally Rowe and my husband Ian will be reading with me and Carol Hartle, the administrator of our team. Our news is from Wednesday, April the 7th, until and including Monday the 12th of April. We will start with the headline stories, followed by the general articles of the week, some historical items, and then the sport. The obituaries will end the recording. Sunrise at the moment is at 6.16am and sunset is at 8.02. Our first headline is Wednesday the April the 7th. Shoplifter throws a tantrum in court. The smile was wiped off a Worcester's shoplifter's face as he ranted during a temper tantrum when he learnt he would not be able to walk out of prison. Cornell Giorgio, who targeted the city's boot store, in £8,000 raids, could be seen grinning at a previous court hearing, but his smile had disappeared completely as he ranted at Worcester Crown Court. Learning he would not walk free as he had anticipated, the 34-year-old demanded to go home and hit out at adjournments and at the probation service. He targeted the High Street store during three brazen raids, all captured on CCTV on one occasion returning to the same store within half an hour to carry on his spree. The thief cleared whole shelves of high-value cosmetics, razors and toothbrush heads on three separate sprees worth £8,227 at a time when city businesses were struggling through the COVID-19 pandemic and the impact of lockdown. The defendant appeared over video link from HMP Pentonville and was clearly frustrated when he learnt he would be staying where he was having already spent two months in prison on remand waiting to be sentenced. The dad could be seen wildly gesticulating, waving his arms around, crying, shouting, putting his head in his hands and banging his fists down on the table as he tried to make himself understood via his Romanian interpreter. No pre-sentence report had been prepared by the probation service, despite one being ordered when George appeared before magistrates last November, pleading guilty at the first available opportunity. Matters were further complicated because according to the probation officer, the prison is not hosting video links until May the 24th, which means the defendant could not be interviewed to prepare with a re such a report. Without the report, Judge Nicholas Cartwright was unwilling to sentence George. A clearly agitated defendant shouted, I was hoping to go home today. I want to speak to my solicitor. One of the possible sentences for shop theft is a community order, but
but an immediate custodial sentence is also a possibility. At one stage, the defendant said, My case has already been adjourned twice because of no probation report. I was told I would be sentenced. Why is probation not doing their job? Nick Berry, prosecuting, opened the case, which will now have to be opened a second time, despite courts across the country creaking under a colossal COVID-19 backlog of cases awaiting resolution. Mr Berry said, during the first raid, the defendant entered Boots at around 4.43pm on October the 19th last year, selecting various items including toothbrush heads and placing them in a carrier bag. He then cleared three shelves of number seven skin creams before moving on to steal makeup, including NYX mascaras, men's razors and other branded products. Returning to the skin cream section, he stole more number seven creams before leaving via the rear doors. In that single spree, he stole 4,494 pounds worth of goods. Not content with his haul, he returned at 3.18pm on October the 26th last year with a pink gift bag, again targeting number seven skin creams, then leaving the store. Within half an hour at 3.43, he was back again, stealing various bags of makeup and skincare products worth £2,748. George returned yet again on November the 2nd last year at around 5.05pm, again using a gift bag to conceal stolen items and leaving the store without paying, but was detained outside by members of the Debenhams loss prevention team. The defendant was arrested at 5.46pm. He had stolen a further £984 worth of goods in that raid. Mr Berry said he was transported into custody, he was interviewed and admitted all three offences but disputed the extent in terms of the value of the items stolen. He explained he was unemployed and was under pressure to provide for his two young children. Mr Berry said, one store has been targeted with a total loss of £8,227. It's submitted. This is a significant value in the context of shoplifting that has had the result of depriving Boots store of that value of legitimate sales within that fortnight period. Giorgi had two previous convictions for three offences which also involved thefts, one at Boots in Ipswich, where he stole £44 worth of goods. This resulted in two-week prison sentence. He also entered B&Q and stole £619 worth of doorknobs, receiving a four-week prison term. The case was adjourned until April the 16th. Georgia was ordered to be in court in person, not via video link. How will the city look in the future? Major changes to the face of Worcester are proposed for coming years, with a number of significant planning applications to transform the city centre. With many signs pointing towards the return of some sort of normality soon, and with the journey on the government's roadmap out of lockdown seemingly smoothly running, Attention now turns to how the city rebuilds from an extremely difficult year and what the future will look like for Worcester. 
Regeneration and redevelopment in its many guises has always been high on the agenda and hot on the lips of many even before the pandemic struck. With huge developments and grand ideas and multi-million pound promises coming and going. The question now is what will Worcester look like in a decade or two decades time? Will the plans that are either up in the air or on the back burner all primed and ready to go, ever really come to fruition? If all the plans do see the light of day and work does eventually progress, the city could look very different in the next couple of years, let alone the next 20 years. Helpfully, to get some kind of idea of how the city will change post-Covid and how it will look in the future, the council produced a roadmap of sorts not long ago. Worcester City Council revealed its ambitious master plan almost two years ago now, which goes to some lengths to show how the city could look in the future. And whilst by no stretch a definitive document, it does go some way to show how Worcester could look. In the last 18 months, attention has turned to some of the more neglected parts of the city that are in desperate need of attention. The city's Shrub Hill area has long been a sore point with huge screams and grand ideas coming and going, but slight progress has been made. The City Council document shows how the city's historic Shrub Hill area could be completely renovated into a business district with offices and a new parking with a hope that the eyesore Elgar House will be demolished. In a government bid, which the council hopes will give access to £28 million in town's fund money, the ageing Isaac Maddox House site would be turned into a new enterprise centre with 100 homes built and the first bus depot in Padmore Street would be revitalised. The huge and much needed regeneration of the Sheriff Street industrial estate was given another green light by council planners in February last year, with demolition expected to start within three to four months, just before the coronavirus pandemic and lockdown put an abrupt stop to any kind of real progress. The work is already years behind schedule after long negotiations between the developer and the council, and progress has undoubtedly suffered as a result of the pandemic. The development includes hundreds of flats, a car park, shops and restaurants, the possibility of a new hotel, as well as footbridge to Worcester Shrub Hill Station, all of which would undoubtedly change the look of the area. But the most recent scheme to promise big changes and heavy investment in the city is the council's major bid for millions in government regeneration funding. The desperately needed £18 million boost for the city centre will see the area around the tired and shabby Angel Place revitalised with a newly restored and reopened Scala Theatre as a centrepiece. There are also plans for a new secondary school in Worcester and a new bridge between Gullivelt Park and the old Keepax landfill site.
Then there is the major revamp of Lowesmore Wharf, which will include bars, restaurants and cafes, shops, hundreds of apartments and offices to create a new bustling canal-side destination. But the enormous project, which is estimated to cost around £85 million, does have its critics. Worcester Civic Society called the work totally unsuitable and derisible, and the intention to demolish significant and celebrated buildings has been met with scorn by heritage campaigners who say it will cause irreversible damage to a historic cathedral city. Plans away from the city centre are no less ambitious and again include thousands of homes and heaps of new facilities, including the recently revealed 500 home and 77 acre country park plan for Middle Batten Hall Farm, which comes as a compromise after years of battles between landowners, developers, the council, locals and campaigners. And not to mention the whopping urban extension of Worcester, which will see thousands of homes, new schools and leisure facilities, shops and a GP surgery built. The city is only going to get bigger. A gangster who ran a man over during a despicable daylight attack in Worcester will be deported to Romania along with his henchmen. Marius Anton Roman mounted the pavement in his Mercedes in the city's Vincent Road, shattering the shinbone of the former friend, Madeline Oanta. His accomplices, Oanat Tudor, 19, and Christy Danielle Stefanascu, 20, then jumped out of the Mercedes and rained down punches and kicks on the clearly injured and by now helpless Mr Oanta in front of horrified onlookers. Yesterday, Roman, 33, was jailed for ten and a half years for inflicting grievous bodily harm with intent on August the 2nd last year. Tudor and Stefanascu were both jailed for 17 months for assault, occasioning actual bodily harm, and all three defendants showed no emotion as the sentences were announced. The injuries were so severe, the victim feared medics would have to amputate his leg. The trio only pleaded guilty on what would have been the second day of a three to four week trial. Judge Nicholas Cole said, each of you is a Romanian national. It's not appropriate for me to make any recommendation because the law provides for automatic deportation of foreign nationals convicted and sentenced to more than 12 months in custody. Tom Walking prosecuting said the 21-year-old victim had only been in the country since July the 30th, moving to a home in Vincent Road, Worcester. Roman, who knew the victim from back in Romania, had wanted Mr Onata to work for him, but the injured party didn't want to and told the defendant he was going to get work for himself. This refusal made Mr Roman so angry that he drove down to Worcester on the afternoon of August the 2nd, we say, to teach Mr Oanta a lesson, said Mr Walking. Roman took a number of people with him in two Mercedes cars which travelled down the M5 in convoy from Birmingham. 
Mr Oanta was waiting on Vincent Road alone, leaning against a wall, when Roman, who was driving one of the cars, turned into the road. Mr Walking said he described him as looking angry. Mr Roman drove his Mercedes onto the pavement, hitting Mr Anta in the right leg below the knee, pinning him against the wall and shattering his shin bone. The other two defendants then jumped out and attacked Mr Oanta, a kickboxer and weightlifter, while he was incapacitated, kicking and punching him as witnesses called out for them to stop. They drove away at speed, leaving, leaving Mr Oanta on the ground, covered in blood, said Mr Walking. The Mercedes was so badly damaged from the attack that it broke down on the M5 on the way back. By that stage, Roman's wife was driving. The number plates had also been removed, no doubt to hide its identity. While Roman fled to Telford, we say to avoid arrest, said Mr Walking. He was the last of the three men to be arrested. Mr Oanta was taken first to Worcestershire Royal Hospital, then to the Alexandra Hospital in Redditch, and finally to Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham, where he required a number of surgeries complicated when the leg became infected. He was only discharged from hospital on August the 26th, 24 days after the attack. The victim's mobile phone was also taken during the attack. A victim impact statement revealed that Mr Oanta had had thoughts of suicide since the attack and could only manage three to four hours sleep because of the pain and also fearing that his leg would have to be amputated. He described the experience as horrible and has been left with scars on his leg, which means he no longer wears shorts. Surgery has involved skin grafts from his other leg. Mr Oanta referred to the pain as indescribable, even with painkillers. He suffered a cut to his lip and could not breathe through his nose for two months after the attack. I still feel like I'm going crazy and could break down at any time, he said in a victim impact statement. Roman has convictions in Romania and Spain, including for attempted murder, robbery, drugs trafficking, various dishonesty offences and squatting. The attempted murder at a party in Romania in 2008 involved Roman hitting someone over the head with a wine bottle from behind and later stabbing him in the abdomen. In February 2009, he received a jail sentence of five years for that attack. The other two defendants had no previous convictions. Judge Nicholas Cole said it had been the victim's choice what work he wished to do. Judge Cole told Roman, you did not respect his decision and chose to act in a way that has all the hallmarks of someone acting as a gangster, seeking to punish him for his decision not to work in a job that you had arranged. The judge said the likelihood was that though things had improved for the victim, he would suffer some ongoing effects. He accepted that the other two attackers had played a subordinate role, but also that it would have been clear to both of them that Mr Anata was already badly injured when they attacked him. This was a despicable attack on an innocent man in broad daylight on the streets of Worcester. Fortunately, such attacks are extremely rare, the judge said. Roman must serve two thirds of his ten and a half year sentence in custody. The other two must serve half the 17 month sentence in custody on half on license in the community 
as the judge sentenced them to detention in young offender institution. Time spent on remand awaiting sentence will count towards the time served by all three attackers. All three defendants had lived together in Poplar Road, Smethwick, at the time of the assault. Saturday, April the 10th, 1,250 Home New Estate plans for Edge of City. A major developer has unveiled plans to build 1,250 new homes on a new estate on the edge of Worcester. Housing developer St Modwen has joined Merton College in Oxford for the huge 250 acre scheme which would see 1,250 homes built as well as 900,000 square feet of employment land between the M5 and Worcestershire Parkway railway station near Worcester. The huge scheme would also include a new primary school, shops and other facilities. St Modwen, the developer behind several other major schemes in and around the city, including the nearby Wigoran Park development off Whittington Road and the 255 home plan just south of St Peter's, has joined up with Merton College, which owns the land, to bring the plan to life. Guy Gustafson, Managing Director of Strategic Land and Regeneration at St Modwen said, this is a fantastic opportunity to create a new and thriving community in Worcester. Building on our proud history of development in the city, we are thrilled to be partnering with Merton College, which shares our commitment to sustainability and community to create a destination for new homes and employment opportunities that builds on Worcester's continued growth. The development would form part of a wider vision to create a new town on the outskirts of Worcester, made up of as many as 10,000 homes. The much delayed and Covid hit review of major planning blueprint, the South Worcestershire Development Plan, has included a vision for a new town next to the multi-million pound Worcestershire Parkway railway station which would see 5,000 new homes built in the next 20 years, with a possibility for 5,000 more thereafter. The proposals for the new town near Worcester could also include a new secondary school and three primary schools, more than 120 acres of employment space near to the M5, new shops and offices, and likely include a doctor's surgery, a new police and fire station, a town hall, a leisure centre and sports facilities. John Clogue, Estates Bursar at Merton College in Oxford said, this is an exciting opportunity to create a high quality mixed use scheme with cutting edge sustainability that will be a fantastic place to live and work. Merton College is delighted to be partnering with St Modwen which shares our sustainability ambitions, brings multidisciplinary expertise, and has a proven track record of delivering residential and commercial together to create a new, to create new communities. The latest thousand home scheme for the edge of the city joins plans for more than 2,200 homes 
between the city's St Peter's area and Norton as part of the planned Worcester Urban Extension. The Urban Extension also includes plans for a care home, hotels, schools, a leisure centre and outdoor sports facilities, offices and employment space, allotments, parks and green space, a gym, shops and restaurants. Rooftop housing also put forward plans to build up to 92 homes on the former Ketch Car Boot site on the edge of the city next to the A4440 with a decision due soon. St Modwen has already started work on two plans on the edge of Worcester including a 240 home plan between the A4440 and Taylor's Lane. The second plan by St Modwen will see several business units and warehouses built next to the homes. Monday, April the 12th. Free protest in the city. A protest against the government's police, crime, sentencing and courts bill took place in the city over the weekend. Around 150 people gathered at the Elgar statue in Cathedral Square to protest on Saturday afternoon. Most wore masks and the event was socially distanced. West Mercia police officers were in attendance but stressed they were not there to interfere with protesters and would only ever intervene should the protest become violent. One couple in their 70s, Roz and Christopher Cook, travelled from Bromsgrove to take part in the protest. They said, we have been to an awful lot of protests over an awful lot of years and we are very cross that this bill could potentially prevent peaceful protests from happening. Protests are vital for change. Protests have been held in cities around the country against the government's bill, which would give police in England and Wales more power to impose conditions on peaceful protests, including protests deemed too noisy or a nuisance. And now for some general news items um, during the week. The family of a decorated D-Day veteran, much-travelled civil engineer and former RGS Worcester pupil, will be saying a sad goodbye today when his funeral takes place in the city. Michael, Mike Stone, died at the age of 98, having lived very much life to the full. Educated at Worcester Royal Grammar School, his wartime exploits saw him on Sword Beach on D-Day, for which he was awarded the Légion d'honneur. He was in the Territorial Army from 1941 to 55, learned to fly and flew as air observation pilot and commanded Q Battery 267 Field Regiment Royal Artillery in Malvern. Following the war, his work as civil engineer saw him employed in Worcestershire, Lincolnshire, Lancashire, Staffordshire before the more exotic destinations of Libya, Morocco, French Dahomey, part of the present-day Benin, Ivory Coast, Malawi, Indonesia, Sudan, Peru, Saudi Arabia and Bangladesh. Mike finally found himself back in Devon before retirement, 
But as daughter Susan Lochner says of her father, even then he never put his feet up. He worked as proofreader stroke editor for book publishers, always kept busy. Susan said he enjoyed all kinds of social gatherings, travel and DIY. He loved life and lived it to the full. He had a confident and robust personality, but was kind and always ready to help others. And he was a great believer in the importance of a sense of duty and service. He enjoyed travel and was good at languages, French, German, Spanish and some Arabic. Mike was generous with his time and liked to be involved in many different activities. He was former president of the Morven branch of the Royal Artillery Association, chairman of the Air Crew Association and president of Old Elizabethans, RGS Worcester and Alice Otley. Mike was always likely to go far if his school reports from 1929 to 39 were anything to go by. Information provided by Scott MacDonald, foundation director at RGS Worcester. Character and conduct, excellent, sound influence, should go far. Debating society and dramatic society, strong active membership. Officer Training Corps, Corporal, very keen NCO, school shooting 8, 1939. School games, 2nd 15, 1937 to 38 and 38 to 39. First 15, 1939 winter term. Colours, good wing forward, very hard working. Yule House, an outstanding house captain. As leader on the field, one when not expected to win. In organisation, self-reliant and reliable. Colours for rugby and athletics. Scott said, to put this in context, praise was not given freely or generously on record cards, so it is well earned. The other thing that I will always associate with Mike is the reprinting of Mark Rogers' book in 2014 in dedication to a future world, sharing information about those RGS alumni who are commemorated at the school on the War Memorial in Perrins Hall. Mike wrote an introduction which was fitting because it was his influence that persuaded the association's committee to fund the project which saw a copy being gifted to every pupil in 2014 and then to each new pupil on November the 11th 2015 to 2018. The Worcester RGS alumni Facebook page added Mike inspired RGS pupils when sharing his experiences of landing on Sword Beach on D-Day. He attended many school and alumni events where his company was enjoyed by former pupils of all eras. Mike will be greatly missed by many alumni and friends from across the Worcester community. Mike leaves behind his partner of 20 years, Pat Lloyd, and her family daughter Susan Lochner, granddaughter Charlotte Stone and Harriet Harper, and great-granddaughter Elsie Harper, grandson Gareth Davis, and great-grandchildren Owen and Ashley. His funeral took place 
on Wednesday the April the 7th at St George's Church of England Church, Barbourne. The trust which manages the canals in Worcester is calling on residents to help them identify the source of mysterious pollution clogging up the waterways. The Canal and River Trust has been investigating a mysterious build-up of pollution between Sidbury Lock 3 and Blockhouse Lock 4 in the centre of the city. The pollution, which is characterised as a rainbow sheen on the water, accompanied by the smell of fuel, is proving difficult to trace, with investigations so far drawing a blank. Environmental experts from the Trust are regularly monitoring this stretch of canal to ensure the pollution is having minimal impact on the wildlife. The team is also using absorbent mats to soak up and remove as much of the oil as possible from the water. Alex May, environmental scientist at the Trust, said, This pollution really has got us scratching our heads. Normally, it's fairly straightforward to trace where pollution has come from, as you would find evidence of a spill from a local drain as it discharges into the canal. These drains are supposed to be for clean rainwater, but sometimes wrongly connected drains can lead to pollution problems. Everything we've investigated so far hasn't pointed to the source, so we're asking for local people to tell us if they know anything or have seen anyone dumping something into the canal. Unfortunately, we have found a small number of dead fish along this stretch of canal, so we're particularly keen to get to the bottom of this and find the source to ensure no more wildlife is harmed. Research shows that spending time next to water makes us all happier and healthier, so it's important we look, af look after it for our canals and the wildlife that lives along it to ensure they are great places for local people to visit and enjoy. If you would like to share any information on this, please call 0303 040 040 or email westmidlands at for more information on Canal and River Trust, including how you can donate money or volunteer to support our work, visit www.canalrivertrust.org.uk. The Canal and River Trust cares for and brings to life 2,000 miles of canals and rivers along England and Wales. A union representative supporting the workers of an historic Worcester factory which is set to close with the loss of around 150 jobs says staff are shocked. The Joy Mining plant in Bromyard Road, previously called Miko, is set to close by 2023, its owners Komatsu has said. Stuart Baker from the Unite Trade Union said staff had been told the work would be moved overseas, but had been left shocked as the plant had been working throughout the pandemic. It is a blow to the community, he said. It has come as a big shock to the workforce. They went through a glorious period prior to COVID last year. They were in a buoyant position. Their order book was good. They were taking new staff on at the time. During the pandemic, it didn't affect them. They carried on working to fulfil their orders, no furlough. They even got a pay rise in November, which wasn't done through a normal negotiation. Management, management just said, here it is, which came as a surprise. And over the last 12 months, at least one of the departments has had significant investment for a refurb 
a real investment in the building. They saw that as setting them up. There was another management meeting on Wednesday where it was hoped there would be more detail on the proposed closure, when different departments would be closing and when redundancies would happen. But as yet there is very little detail coming from management and that is adding to the frustration and the current morale. The only official comment made by owners Komatsu to this paper has been to highlight a March press release about a new partnership with other manufacturers to make some of the equipment made under the Joy brand. The statement said, there may be changes to the company's manufacturing footprint as a result of this shift, impacting Komatsu's Manchester and Worcester facilities in the United Kingdom. But no immediate changes have been announced and there are no further details available at this time. Jason Savage, Senior Vice President at Komatsu Mining Corp, added in that press release, we are focused on working with our employees and our customers to make this transition as smooth as possible. A new gardening project connecting children to care home residents during the pandemic has proved a massive success. Seeds of Love is the brainchild of Kirsten Reeves from Debutops Worcestershire, which pre-COVID used to help set up visits for county youngsters to visit care homes. In the pandemic, to ensure the connection between youngsters and care home residents was kept, several activities were organised by debutots, including Zoom calls and writing letters. The latest project has seen children from preschools and nurseries in Worcester and across the county planting seeds and flowers in pots that they have decorated, which have then been delivered to care homes for people to enjoy. Ms Reeves said, We were looking for something different, so came up with Seeds of Love. I asked nurseries who I work with if they would like to get involved, planting up to three plants, decorating the pots and then I'll collect them and take them to the care homes. It has grown from there. So far I have delivered nearly 90 planted pots to nine homes. My thanks to everyone who has got involved so far. I'm absolutely overwhelmed by the response. I'm still looking for more schools, early year settings to get involved. And any families who want to take part can too. Anyone who wants to take part can email kirsten at debutots.co.uk or visit Debutots Worcestershire on Facebook. Three years on from his cancer diagnosis, Worcester Warriors player Joe Batley, 24, made a delivery of Easter eggs for young people at the same hospital in Bristol where he received his treatment. In a socially distanced drop-off in the grounds of Bristol Hematological and Oncology Centre last week, he met with Teenage Cancer Trust nurse Claire Lewis Norman, who supported him through some of the hardest times of his life. The delivery was made possible thanks to charity Rugby Against Cancer a charity that provides help and support to those in the rugby family affected by cancer, of which Joe is a champion. Former England under-20 international Joe was just 21 and playing for Bristol when he received his shocking diagnosis.
At first, Joe received treatment in the adult section of the hospital, but he found this challenging because at that time he was the youngest patient by around 40 years. It was tough to see the people I was around were far older and far sicker, and it was harder to stay positive. But then I got the chance to have my treatment on Area 61, the Teenage Cancer Trust sponsored unit instead, and I jumped at the chance. Area 61 is for young people aged 16 to 24, and one of 28 units established by the charity Teenage Cancer Trust in NHS hospitals across the UK over the past 30 years. Area 61 is a place very close to my heart. When you are diagnosed with cancer, it's so easy just to become the cancer person. But I was always treated like an individual there. And that helped me feel more like Joe, he added. I was around people of my own age and I had a space to myself and more privacy so I could have my family, girlfriend and teammates visit me. Area 61 is also staffed by experts in teenage cancer care, including specially trained nurses like his Teenage Cancer Trust nurse Claire, who he met on his Easter return. Claire was there for me and my family every step of the way. She explained really clearly what treatment would be like and was a sounding board for me throughout. The school in Worcester has been named among 22 nationwide behaviour hubs by the government. Perryfields PRU was chosen after four successive outstanding Ofsted reports. As part of the scheme, the government has set aside £10 million to support schools dealing with behaviour issues and the scheme will see staff from the behaviour hubs drop in to provide support and advice. The money is used to cover the cost of the staff member visiting other schools. Peter Hines, head teacher at Perryfields, said the team at Perryfields Primary Pru is immensely proud of the work that it does to improve the life chances of young people in Worcestershire. We are delighted to have the opportunity to widen the impact of this work by being a lead school in the Behaviour Hubs programme. We want to share with other schools how we have created the behaviour culture at Perryfields, which is underpinned by exceedingly high expectations and a belief that all pupils matter, so each and every one of them can be set on a pathway to fulfil their aspirations and potential. We look forward to working with colleagues across the country to share our passion for making a difference and improving young people's education and life chances. Schools taking part in the programme will also have access to training on common problems and effective approaches, led by Tom Bennett, founder and director of Research Ed and the department's lead behaviour advisor and his team of behaviour advisors. There will be open days at lead schools to observe good systems and approaches in action, as well as hub networking events and online forums for schools to share experiences. The programme will run on a termly basis with lead schools and multi-academy trusts forming hubs with a different two supported schools each term. The programme will expand next year with further lead schools 
and multi-academy trusts appointed to support more schools to help reach the target of 500 supported schools over the three-year programme. Lead schools will advise their counterparts on issues ranging from setting clear expectations to eliminate low-level disruption in classrooms that is damaging to teachers and other pupils, to more systematic approaches to maintaining order and discipline across the school, such as forbidding the use of mobile phones and maintaining quiet corridors. Huge plans to renovate a popular country pub have been put forward. Major brewers Green King have revealed plans to refurbish the Crown Inn in Hallow near Worcester, including a bigger bar and toilets, as well as to transform the garden and outdoor seating areas with a new covered pergola and pods for alfresco dining. An extension will be built to the back of the Grade 2 listed pub to house the expanded bar and provide space for 29 more covers, with the pub's outdoor bar demolished and a large manor ash tree cut down to make way for the proposed work. Outdoor seating will be moved to a different part of the pub's garden with new hedges and fences put in place. The pub's log burner fire would also be replaced with an open fire. The Crown Inn was run by Will and Sasha Donaldson for more than a decade, but the lease, which ran out in February, was not renewed by Landlord Green King, which decided to move ahead with its own renovation plans. The couple said they had fought the decision with their solicitors, but was left with little to do as it was Green King which had the final say over whether the renewal over the renewal of the lease. The pub went through a significant refurbishment and rebrand, including the appointment of a new head chef in 2017. A statement included with the application said, Principal areas of this proposal include the removal of the external timber frame bar cabin structure to create space for the small flat roof extension within the existing kitchen courtyard. The extension would allow the trade area to be extended by relocating the internal bar and allowing the trade space to access the garden, providing natural light into the heart of the pub. The existing garden terrace has two large umbrellas that have been relocated to a new hard standing terrace formed in the existing rear lawned area. The space now vacated by the relocation has provided space for a new timber framed pergola providing a feature covered seating area adjacent to the new flat roof extension. Readers have been busy sharing pictures of carved wooden animals left around Worcester over the Easter weekend. The mystery skilled craftsman known as the Lost Woodsman left a hundred carvings and 200 tomato seedlings to be discovered as part of an Easter trail. The Lost Woodsman, who wishes to remain anonymous, told us that since we reported on the mystery animals, hundreds of people have taken part in the treasure hunts to find the pocket-sized animals. The Instagram account, the underscore lost underscore woodsman underscore, 
where the craftsman shares how the gifts are created and hints at locations where they can be found, has also gained thousands of new followers. Each one found on a trail contains a message, specially for the finder, often sharing an eco-friendly message. The Lost Woodman said, I've been doing a trail every two weeks and slowly building up the amount of items left. The last one around Diglis and Cherry Orchard had 50 carvings and 100 tomato seedlings and a message, if we can all grow a bit of food, that's another step we can take to prevent the climate disaster. A private school in Worcester has been criticised for blocking off a popular route for city centre walkers without its hedge teacher and CEO knowing about it. King School has taken away a stile and built up fencing to block the route through its field from Slingpool Walk to Chapter Meadows heading towards Diglis. A second wire fence has been erected a matter of feet in front of that but some level of access appears to have been restored after the top two levels of wire were cut. Chapter Meadows is an area managed by Duckworth Worcestershire Trust, an organisation which has been in touch with Councillor Richard Udall, who represents Worcester St John's on Worcestershire County Council. The alternatives to reach Chapter Meadows are to walk around the school field or to follow a sodden, slippy route through an unmanaged grassy area that would leave walkers covered in mud. It is sad, unfortunate and unnecessary, said Councillor Udall. It is not listed as a public right of way, but it has been used by the public for generations and was opened up and styled by the Duckworth Trust. They are not happy about what has happened either. They have had meetings with King's School were adamant people had to be stopped from entering and routes across their land had to be closed. It is the major route from Slingpool Walk to Chapter Meadows and clearly some people have already taken direct action to secure access. That is unfortunate. I would never condone any kind of criminal damage but it shows how angry people have become about the obstruction of a very popular route. I accept it is private land and not a public footpath, but the school could do some things to alert people to that and ask them to respect that. Most people will respect that and not cause any damage or problems. We should be building bridges and bringing down fences, not shutting off areas. A lot of people use this route for exercise, particularly during the pandemic, and now they are denied access to the green area they are used to using. Councillor Udall indicated his belief that the decision had been taken unilaterally, an opinion that was given credence by Chief Executive and Head Gareth Dudes. This matter was brought to my attention today, Tuesday, and I am looking into it further, said Mr Dudes. It would be wrong of me to comment until I have ascertained what has happened. I have informed Councillor Udall, who raised the complaint via social media, that I will be in touch with him directly. The Worcester Cathedral rang the bells 99 times to honour Prince Philip. Major Joe Hod Mayor Joe Hodges attended to pay her respects to the Duke of Edinburgh, who passed away peacefully aged 99. 
Councillor Hodges said, It is a great sadness to hear the news of the passing of the Duke of Edinburgh. Prince Philip was a man who commanded the respect of the nation. We admired him for his illustrious wartime record, his commitment to charities and for supporting young people. Most of all, of course, we admire his remarkable support for the Queen at every stage of her reign. Sadly, I never had the honour of meeting the Duke in person, but nonetheless, I have a very strong impression of his devotion to duty and of the nobility and insight he brought to every task he undertook. We launch our Love Local Business campaign once again to support traders as they try to recover from the lockdown. As non-essential shops, hairdressers, pubs, gyms and other businesses reopen on Monday, April 12th, we are urging our readers to support them by spending their money with them. Our campaign is run by the Worcester News, Morven Gazette and Evesham Journal in partnership with Worcestershire County Council, Worcester BID, Crowngate Shopping Centre and the University of Worcester. Michael Purton, editor of the title, said, This is a crucial time for local businesses as they try to recover from the impact of the lockdown, which for many has seen them without any income for more than three months. We are fortunate to have so many great local independent businesses and we need our community to support them now to make sure we don't lose them. In the coming weeks, we will be promoting these businesses in our newspaper, on our website and our social media channels to help spread the message that they are open and highlight why they are so valuable to this community. Our campaign is backed by Worcestershire MPs Robin Walker, Harriet Baldwin and Nigel Huddleston. Mr Walker, Worcester MP, said, Worcester has fantastic independent local shops we are proud of, but of course they have all been through a heck of a year and we now all really need to rally round and support them. They adapted and made sure they were Covid secure so they could open before. They now need their customers more than ever. It is important people get out, enjoy them, use them and show that they are appreciated. I think we have all realised this past year, especially when we have not been able to go to them, how valuable and special they are. If you'd like your business to be involved in Love Local Business, email dale.godleyman at newsquest.co.uk. Police officers are struggling in the face of COVID and constant negative headlines the chair of West Mercia's Police Federation has warned. Sarah Cooper, who represents officers in Worcester as chair of West Mercia Police Federation, said the ongoing pressures of policing the pandemic, a vocal minority criticising the police service and a barrage of negative headlines was taking its toll on officers but has urged those to reach out for support if they are feeling the strain. Officers are telling me that they are struggling, she said. Policing the pandemic has been incredibly challenging. Police officers have been on the front line of the nation's response, trying to uphold the lockdown rules, which are often changed at short notice and without detailed guidance being given to forces and carrying out their usual duties 
while putting their own health and that of their families on the line. They have been criticised for being too tough on people, not complying with the rules but also condemned for not being hard enough. Whatever they do, they seem to be in the wrong, but in actual fact they are just trying to do their best in what has been unprecedented times. While it is all too easy to just see the uniform, people seem to forget that behind that there is a human being who will also be juggling their own personal circumstances. Perhaps they have been homeschooling their children, trying to care for elderly or vulnerable relatives or neighbours, or they are trying to adjust to reduce household income because a partner has lost their job due to the pandemic. The chair of the West Mercia Police Federation urged officers that support was available to them if they needed it. Policing is a challenging role at the best of times, but it has really been unbelievably tough for officers over the last 12 months. Those on the front line were walking into the unknown at the start of this crisis, but they did what they always do. They got on with the job, they adapted to the situation and they put their public service first. They are now feeling unappreciated, unvalued and unsupported. So I want them all to know that I and many, many others do appreciate the extraordinary work they do. I want officers to know they are valued and there is support available. Just contact the Federation officials or your workplace representatives. Share your concerns and that can be the first step to dealing with any issues you're facing. St Richard's Hospice has welcomed a highly experienced chair to lead the Worcestershire charity. Jenny Cowp has been a governor of St Richard's Hospice for more than 20 years and vice chair since 2001. She takes over the role following the retirement of former chairman John Borden, who stepped down after 17 years of dedicated service. Mrs Cowp, who lives in Malvern, says she believes strongly in the benefits St Richard's can offer to patients and their families and brings to her role an understanding of both healthcare and academia based on her career spanning the NHS and university sectors. Mrs Cowp thanked John Borden for being an outstanding chairman over so many years. She said it was an honour and a great privilege to be asked to take on the role. I have long been interested in the care and support of people who have a serious progressive illness, which began many years ago when I heard a lecture by Cicely Saunders, the founder of the modern hospice movement, said Mrs Cowp. She pledged to work to continue and build on the exceptional care and support the hospice offers to families, patients and the bereaved in Worcestershire. Further research and education programmes will be a priority as we're working as a key partner in the evolving health and care system in Worcestershire and Herefordshire. The new chair takes over at an exciting time for St Richard's with the recent completion of the Bill 2020 Living Well Centre and this summer's Worcestershire Big Parade Elephant Art Trail. With restrictions around the pandemic cautiously easing, there is much to be optimistic about, said Mrs Cobb. We have a fantastic community who generously support our care through donating and a dedicated and professional team of staff and volunteers who make St Richard's the excellent hospice it is today. A new High Sheriff of Worcestershire has taken up his role. 
Richard Amflett was appointed on April the 8th to hold the position for 12 months. It's something of a family tradition for the 55-year-old. His ancestor, William Amphlett, held the position three times in the 18th century, along with a number of other Amphletts over the years. Mr Amphlett, who lives in Tenbury Wells with his wife Annabel and sons George and Patrick, is managing director of insurance brokers Cox Mahon. He has pledged to support organisations battling to help the county recover from the effects of the coronavirus pandemic, including mental health charities. I am extremely honoured and proud to take on the role as the new High Sheriff of Worcestershire, said Richard, who grew up in Ombersley and has lived in Tenbury for 20 years. I'd like to pay tribute to my predecessor, Mark Jackson, for his tireless work, both physically and virtually, in supporting communities and organisations across the county throughout the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. The impact on mental health is of particular personal concern and I will be aiming to shine a positive light in supporting mental health charities and initiatives helping all age groups and communities. Richard is a trustee of the Abberley Hall Foundation and the Regal Tenbury Trust has a long-standing connection with Bromsgrove Rugby Club and belongs to the Worcestershire Archery Society. He's also a keen skier and cyclist. Outgoing High Sheriff Mr Jackson said, it has been a privilege and an honour to meet so many extraordinary people during, doing so much to help their neighbours. Thank you. A Worcester woman celebrated her 106th birthday with the help of her caregivers. Evelyn Cook, mother of three, was presented with balloons and a bouquet made of her favourite sweets on her birthday. She said, what a fuss, all because I'm old. And she celebrated the day with her son Andrew, 72, and her carers from local care provider Caremark. A spokesman for Caremark said, a member of the management team visited Evelyn a few weeks ago and during the visit, when Evelyn was asked what she was up to, she said in passing comment, not much, but it's my 106th birthday this month. The comment went by and the conversation continued until the manager returned to the office and realised what had been mentioned. 106 is definitely something to celebrate and recognise. Caremark immediately started planning for her day. Balloons, sweets and flowers have been taken round to mark the occasion. Andrew added, it has been difficult for mum being stuck in all the time. She doesn't really know how old she is, but it has been nice to see her this morning. Has someone you know hit a milestone birthday? Get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. And now, historical articles which I thought would be of interest to some of our readers, uh, entitled Nostalgia. This week, I've been taking a look at some of the records relating to the Second World War in Worcester, in particular, the Worcester City Historic Environmental Record, which holds a huge collection relating to the defence of Britain. These records were compiled by a team of dedicated volunteers in the 1990s and early 2000s, who tirelessly researched the key role that Worcestershire played in the defence of the realm. Defensive measures around the county were critical, particularly as Worcester was earmarked to host the government should they be required to evacuate from the capital. 
This material, together with the stories shared by local people, provide a compelling document of life during the conflict of this period and will soon be available for local people to research via our new web platform, Know Your Place, Worcester, on a street-by-street -street basis. Material from our photographic collection generally date from the early 1950s, but illustrate how the war was still felt on a day-to-day -day basis. With notices about rationed provisions still on display in shop windows, air raid shelters still standing in some cases, and prefabricated buildings in evidence around the city. One local gentleman, Brian Orme, shared his early memories of Northwick, having grown up in Vine Street. The next nearest air raid shelter was in Pinkett Street. And at the end of the Second World War, seeing these being demolished by a crane with a long chain and a big steel weight, I got too near and was struck on the shoulder by a flying brick. If that had been six inches higher, I wouldn't be talking to you now. Everyone wanted to see the end of these things to do with the Second World War, so we were all glad to see them go. Do you have memories of the Second World War in Worcester? Or perhaps you remember the air raid shelter at the end of your street? We'd love to hear your stories. Worcester Life Stories is a collaborative project bringing local people together through shared stories of the city of Worcester. It is co-led by Dr Natasha Lord, Herefordshire and Worcestershire Health and Care NHS Trust and Sheena Payne-Lunn, Worcester City Council and funded thanks to the National Lottery Players. For further information or to share your stories, visit worcesterlifestories.org.uk or our Facebook page or Twitter. You can also email worcesterlifestories at gmail.com or call 01905 721133. And um, there's another article here about some victory celebrations. To the immediate post-war generations of young men, the name Sabrina probably conjures up visions of a blonde, frontally endowed young lady who kept popping up in, on the black and white TV on the day, never seeming to do much apart from stand there. Well, in Worcester in 1946, we had our own Sabrina, who was a very important person indeed, because she took the leading role in a celebration that promised to live long in the memory of everyone there. Sadly, their numbers are diminishing now, but thanks to the diligence of Barbara North, who was among the supporting cast and kept newspaper cuttings, we can revisit the event. The local version was Sabrina, goddess of the seven, and the star of the city of Worcester's Victory Day on Saturday, June the 8th, 1946. After six years of private privation, hardship and heartache during the Second World War, Worcester let its hair down with a day-long programme of events, the highlight of which was an illuminated boat procession and river carnival on the seven. Centre stage was our very own Sabrina, accompanied by six attendants. By the time they took to the water on a barge, also named Sabrina, to head the procession, the city must have already been giddy. The day had begun at 11am with an hour-long peal of bells by the cathedral ringers, which was followed by a grand charity sports meeting on the county cricket club ground. 
This featured flat races, cycle races and relay races for men, women and children. While it was going on at the other end of town, the municipal band was giving a two-hour concert in Goulevard Park and as soon as this ended, Harold M Montadon's Dominoes dance band swung into action on the King's School sports ground in New Road, ready to jitterbug the night away. There was a brief clash of musical styles as the band of the Worcestershire Regiment played for community singing at the Hilton Road end of Cripplegate Park for 40 minutes before a programme of aquatic events, including a comic boat race and greasy pole jousting, took place on the river. After a procession from the Guildhall through the city streets, Sabrina and her attendants joined the illuminated boats to set off from Diglas Cutting at 10pm and make their way upriver. More than 20,000 spectators crammed onto and around the new road bridge to watch. Barbara explained, Sabrina and her attendants were chosen at a competition held on the stage of the Gaumont Cinema. We had to send our photographs in and then the top dozen or so girls appeared before the judges at the Gaumont. Mary Radford, who was 18 and lived in Checkett's Lane, was chosen as Sabrina. I was 16 at the time and picked as one of her six attendants. On the day we wore long flowing white gowns with flowers in our hair. It was a wonderful experience. I will never forget the crowds as we made our way up and down the river. The river procession was indeed something else, as well as Sabrina's specially illuminated state barge, the line-up included a throng of illuminated power boats, rowing boats and pleasure steamers. A band from RAF Pershaw was on one barge, while another hosted a mobile firework display. The spectacle moved from Diglis under Worcester Bridge to the Dog and Duck, where it turned round and made a return trip. The front page coverage in the Worcester Evening News and Times, which was priced one penny on the following Monday, was peppered with wonderful journalistic praise of the era, such as Sabrina and her attendants made a charming picture, as one would imagine prevailing during the period of early Britain. And many were the exclamations of approval, the delightful picture the young women made. Couldn't have put it better. If you have any pictures of the day lurking in a cardboard box in the attic or in the, cardboard, in the cupboard under the stairs, we'd love to see them and hear about any memories that they inspire. So please contact our community content editor at barry.kinghorn at newsquest.co.uk. This year, Worcester will be celebrating the 400th anniversary of the charter that created the local government we still use today, a city with a mayor as its figurehead. However, the city was governed very differently before 1621. The Anglo-Saxon charters, which sadly don't survive, would have created a burg or fortified town. This showed that the King of Mercia saw potential in a town that was once an inland port used by the Romans. Later charters allowed for regular markets too. The earliest surviving charter dates from 1189 and allowed some independence from the King for an annual payment of £24. This would allow the city gentlemen to make many decisions for the good of the city. In 1227, a new charter from Henry III allowed the city to form a guild of merchants, 
which governed trade within the city walls. Governing the city was confusing at this time and often led to arguments and disputes. A law was passed to fine guild members for using aggressive language at the guild hall. The Trinity Guild was formed in 1372 and dealt with almshouses, the city defences and the important bridge across the Severn. By the 16th century, these two organisations had evolved to become the corporation, made up of two distinct groups known as the 24 and the 48. The 24 was the high chamber or the great clothing. The 48 was the low chamber or the commoners. They were led by a high and low bailiff and several officials such as the alderman and chamberlain. This organisation was intended to create clarity from the two earlier guilds. This system stayed in place until the 17th century. Several meetings took place to create a modern new system to match other great cities. However, the financial costs and additional pressure from the bishop, who feared losing some of his power in Worcester, led to the idea being shelved numerous times. Voting in 1604, and finally in 1615 rejected the proposals and it looked like the change would never happen. Charter 400 events began with the launch of a new walking tour by Discover History. The tour is available throughout 2021 and will help visitors and more importantly local people learn about the city charter that gave Worcester the privileges it has today. To book your tour, contact Discover History on 07949-222137. To find out what is happening throughout 2021, please visit the Visit Worcester website at visitworcester.co.uk. Further events will be added as the COVID restrictions are eased. The celebrations will culminate with Charter Day on Saturday, October the 2nd. And now for the sport. Worcestershire CCC bowler Ed Barnard picked up two wickets as the bowling unit produced a disciplined performance on the opening day of the LV County Championship match with Essex at Chelmsford. The four pace bowlers bowled accurately and tightly on a good batting wicket and Brett D'Oliveira provided sterling support during an excellent spell in freezing conditions. The reigning champions were made to work hard for their runs and given few balls to hit during a day of hard-fought and competitive cricket. Barnard was rewarded with Nick Brown and Dan Lawrence's scalps after Charlie Morris capped an impressive initial spell by dismissing England's record test run scorer in Alistair Cook. Essex captain Tom Westley was unbeaten on 84 when Bad Light halted play for a second time at 27 for 3 from 81 to 2 overs. Westley won the toss and elected to bat on a sunny but chilly morning and despite it looking a good batting pitch it was the Worcestershire bowlers who impressed early on. Club captain Joe Leach and Dylan Pennington took the new ball and the pair quickly settled into a good rhythm against the openers, Sir Alistair Cook and Nick Brown. Charlie Morris came into the attack and made the breakthrough with the prized scalp of Cook 
as he pushed forward to a ball of full length and was plumb with 30 on the board in the 14th over. Brown grafted his way to a pa patient 26 of 74 balls for Essex, but then fell victim to a superb catch by Jake Libby off Ed Barnard's bowling with the host on 57 for two. The total had moved into 74 for two from 31 overs by lunch and only 10 boundaries were scored during the morning session. After lunch, Lawrence cut for a four off Pennington to bring up the 100 in the 41st over, but Barnard eventually got his rewards when Lawrence, 46, was legged before to a delivery which jagged, jagged back to end a stand of 73 with Wesley in 27 overs. Barnard continued to test the Essex batsman while leg spinner D'Oliveira bowled on the spot during a lengthy spell leading up to T, which was reached with Essex on 167 for three from 64 overs, Wesley unbeaten on 64. Play continued similarly after tea with no quarter given by either side before the light's deterioration led to the floodlights coming on 75 minutes before the close. Paul Walter was fortunate when he hit a Dolivera delivery onto his pads and it almost rolled onto his stumps. Dolivera then dived full length to his right as a Walter drive fell inches short before bad light eventually ended the day's play. Reports suggest that Sale Shark's rumoured pursuit of Worcester Warriors Nick Schonert has ended. The 29-year-old prop was a top target for Sale's head coach Alex Sanderson, according to the rugby paper, but they failed in their attempt to bring him to the AJ Bell. Schonert, a former South African under-20 international, has been a regular started since he moved to Worcester back in 2014 and is now one of the league's top scrummagers. Schoenert signed a contract extension back in December 2019 to keep him at six ways. The length of that extension is unknown. The rugby paper says Warriors remain interested in a fly half and a number eight but their search continues on that front. Worcester number eight, Cornell Dupreeze, has been heavily linked with a move away from the club and Warriors have already lost Francois Hugard to Northampton Saints next season. Worcester have signed a number of players to their squad for next season with the addition of experienced premiership individuals Willie Hines, Will Chudley, Scott Baldwin and Christian Judge, as well as Duhan van der Merwe from Edinburgh. Their work in the recruitment department seems unfinished. Worcester Warriors scheduled Galahad Premiership fixture with Harlequins looks set to be rearranged to ensure it does not clash with the funeral of Prince Philip. The Duke of Edinburgh's funeral will be held at St George's Chapel, Windsor at 3pm on Saturday the 17th of April. Warriors were due to play Quinns at the Twickenham Stoop, 3pm kick-off, but Premiership Rugby confirmed on Saturday that all games played during that period, including Newcastle Falcons versus Bristol Bears, 
would be moved to avoid a clash. A Premiership Rugby spokesperson said, as a mark of respect for HRH Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, Premiership Rugby can confirm that all Gallagher Premiership Rugby matches scheduled to be played between 3pm and 4pm on Saturday the 17th of April will be moved to avoid a clash with his funeral service. We have already started discussing the, the, the logistical details with our clubs and broadcasters and will make an announcement as soon as possible. It is not yet clear when the game will be played, whether it be later on Saturday or moved to a different day. Worcester and Harlequins have not played yet this season, as the game at Six Ways was cancelled due to an outbreak of coronavirus amongst the Quinn's squad, meaning Warriors were awarded the win by default. The team have been off on a two-week break after a block of nine Premiership games in a row since January. They last played at the end of March against Northampton Saints at Six Ways, where they were brutally dismantled in a 14-62 thrashing. There are seven games left in the league season and Worcester sit bottom of the table after a horrendous campaign to date losing 12 consecutive league matches, as well as two European ones in January. With the threat of relegation removed this season due to the ongoing impact of COVID, Warriors still remain committed to finishing the season strongly and ensuring they do not finish bottom of the pile. They have ties against Sale, Exeter, Wasps, Gloucester, Leicester and Newcastle to come after this weekend and that ends um today's recording so it just serves of us to say thank you very much for listening and until next time goodbye from me goodbye aileen thompson passed away on the 15th of march funeral service at worcester crematorium on wednesday the 21st of april at 10.45. Family flowers only and donations to St Richard's Hospice. Brenda Pauline Ethel Beddows, née Taylor, passed away peacefully on March the 18th. Due to COVID-19 restrictions, a private funeral service and then internment at Westall Park Natural Burial Ground, Holborough Green, will take place on Wednesday the 21st of April. For anyone wishing to pay their last respects, the cortege will leave Brenda's home at 12.30. No flowers by request. Donations, if desired, for the Midlands Air Ambulance may be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services. James Walter Bishop, known as Jim, passed away peacefully on March the 21st. Due to restrictions imposed by the current regulations, Attendance at the funeral service will be by invite only. Should you wish to make a donation in Jim's memory, please send this directly to St Richard's Hospice. Lindsay Lovett-Smith died peacefully on the 22nd of March. Service will be held on Wednesday the 28th of April at 1 o'clock. Video link available on request from the family. 
Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, to the RSPB. Graham Payne peacefully passed away on March the 20th. The funeral service will be held on Saturday the 17th of April at 2 o'clock at St Mary's Church, Neen Savage, due to Covid restrictions, only limited attendees. Family flowers only. Donations to Cancer's, Cancer Research UK or St Richard's Hospice. We will be holding a remembrance celebration in the summer when Covid restrictions are lifted, date and time to be confirmed. Elsie Frances Corbett passed away peacefully on the 24th of March. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 15th of April at 2.30pm. Invited family and friends due to Covid restrictions. Family flowers only please, but donations if desired for Acorns Children's Hospice Trust may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son. Anne Lilly of Lower Wick, Worcester, passed away on the 24th of March. A private cremation will take place. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Dementia UK may be sent to E.J. Gummery and Son. Helen Ann Holtz passed away on Friday the 26th of March. Due to restrictions, a private funeral service will be held. Family flowers only, donations if desired to St Michael's Hospice, Bartlestree, Hereford. For any details, contact Bailey Brothers. Dorothy Elaine, known as Elaine, Hugh Jones from Morven, passed away peacefully on the 29th of March. Funeral service to take place at Friends Meeting House, 1 Orchard Road, Morven, on Tuesday the 20th of April at 12 midday, followed by burial at Great Morven Cemetery, Madrasfield Road, Morven. No flowers, please. Attendance by invitation only due to COVID restrictions. Donations, if so desired, will be gratefully received for Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama, Castle Grounds, Cafes Park, Cardiff. All inquiries, care of funeral service, 115 Barnards Green, Morven. Maureen Gibbons passed away on the 5th of April. A private cremation will take place. Flowers only, please, but donations if desired for guide dogs may be sent to E.J. Gummery and Sons. We send our thoughts and prayers to all those bereaved at this particularly difficult time. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and when they entered they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, 
The women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen.